0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippey. transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast, the first one of 2022. It is Weldon Rodenberg and I recapping the Sugar Bowl and really wrapping up the season uh, as it was, as Ole Miss finishes 10-3 uh, and 3 on the year. Pretty underwhelming uh, sugar bowl for Ole Miss and the way it started and ended in losing Matt crowd. We got into all of that. You guys saw the game. So I uh, got into a lot of different stuff, the future of the team, where they go from here, some DJ Durkin speculation, who might be staying, who might be leaving. A lot of different different topics. So it was a uh, good way to wrap up the football season with Weldon. I've enjoyed doing this with him every Sunday evening. So before we get rolling today, though, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the handicapping industry. Skybox went 28-15 and in college basketball last week. That is up 38.3 units for those of you keeping score at home. So they made a bunch of you rich. NFL playoffs rolling around, college basketball getting into conference play, by far their best model is college hoops. That is their, uh, their words, not mine. You need to take advantage of Skybox if you are into the wagering industry. It will continuously print you money, and they're the most consistent way to lead you to profit. You're not going to ever to make money in the long run going off your own own knowledge and own picks. Skybox is a proven model that will help you continue to cash out. You don't want to meet the, to have the man texting you on Sunday night, Monday morning, got the scaries asking where the money is. You need to be texting him, wondering where your supplemental supplemental income is coming from. So check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. They have daily free plays on the site right now. SkyboxSportsPicks.com slash free plays. And on top of that, use the free plays and go find a picks package of your own that's going to fit your price range month-long, season-long. Uh, the way Skybox is going, you'll be rich if you just ride with them throughout the year. But uh, if you're looking for something a little more affordable, they're going to have something that fits. You need to check these guys out. They're the best in the industry. Use the promo code RIPPY for 20% off any purchase. Check them out. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go start 2022, 2022 off right and see Greg. At LB's, absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Let you decide which one of those is better. Right now, our subscribers are getting a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. Just show proof of subscription when you go in, and Greg will hook you up. It's absolutely the best place. Go find your own favorites. Uh stuffed mushrooms, sausages, seafood, all kinds of great stuff, bacon-wrapped fillets. I like the ribeye uh, rib sausage myself, and fillet burgers are always an incredible, uh, incredible way to go as well. But go find all of your favorite things at LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. All right, here's Weldon Rodenberg on the Sugar Bowl, Matt Corral in the season that was. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss Recruiting Specialist Weldon Rodenberg. This is our end of the season wrap-up show, I suppose. Ole Miss loses 21-7 to Baylor in a very bizarre, very disappointing game and ending to Ole Miss' season. Um, we'll get into that. We'll get into some what's next and a lot of different stuff. You were at the game. I was as well. Um you know, for as bad as the game went from an Ole Miss perspective, I was blown away by the atmosphere. I thought that place was electric. Just the scene was cool. I enjoyed it. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely feeling it the day after, <laughs> if you can't tell from my voice. Um, it was a really, really exciting atmosphere. I mean, there was a ton of people there just around the city. In the game, I would say it was probably like 65, 35 Ole Miss generously. Um and, yeah, it was definitely an unfortunate game outcome, the whole deal, uh, because of how cool the, the stadium was, the setup was, and kind of just all the storylines hitting together for, like, this kind of game and having it go the way it did was definitely very, very anticlimactic.
1: Yeah, it really was. I uh, It was almost sh- showed out, brought a lot of people. We knew that was going to be the case coming in, just based on everything you'd heard from a ticket. Uh, sales perspective. And honestly, just from hearing, I mean, it's like everyone and their brother, I'd feel like I knew was coming down to this game. You could tell it immediately. I think starting a little bit on the 30th, but certainly New Year's Eve. And then walking, we did a lot of walking around New Orleans on New Year's Day. We went to the French Quarter and then to a bar by the stadium, did Bourbon Street for a second. It was just old Miss fans flooded everywhere. And it was really just a lot of people going to the Sugar Bowl. I was in that same boat. I was going to go 70, 30, 75, 25, somewhere in there. I was actually kind of shocked. Uh, that the amount of uh, people Baylor brought just based on things that I had heard about. And I say things I'd heard is mostly just kind of other people guessing. And I heard Chase and Neil kind of mentioned their Baylor ticket allotment once, but uh, they brought a decent amount of people. It wasn't huge. old Miss outnumbered them, but I was, I was, I was surprised at the amount of yellow or gold, whatever the hell that color is.
0: Yeah. They showed up well. And I think you know, new Orleans is not the hardest place to get to in the world for really anybody. And, it's a pretty fun place to go, and it's a, it's a big deal for them. It's a big deal for Ole Miss. So I wasn't surprised that basically the entire stadium was full.
1: Yeah, it really was. And there's a million places we could start in this game. I think probably the most, uh, you know, I guess most influential moment of the game was Matt Corral getting hurt on, was that the third drive of the game? Somewhere around there. Uh I I didn't have a great view of what exactly happened. I don't know where you were sitting, but you could tell and immediately he was in a lot of pain. And, you know, I know he got taken off in a golf cart against Auburn and ended up coming back. But to me, as soon as I kind of saw it, saw a replay of it, and then saw kind of the way he was kind of writhing in pain on the ground, I pretty much knew his night was done. I don't think that's any sort of groundbreaking news, but I'm just curious what your vantage point was of the injury.
0: Um, I was the first row of the top level. So, like, 40-yard line, 50-yard line, first row, top level. And so, it was kind of hard to see from that view because you're kind of looking down on it. Um, it didn't look good. His reaction did not look good. Um, and it was really super disappointing for him and for, like, the whole team, the fan base. Like, that's just not what you were expecting to happen. And, you know, I doubt he could have even come back in. And even if he could have, like, there's no way he should have um so yeah i mean it didn't look great i think all you know everything i've heard today has been relatively positive like you know pretty bad high ankle sprain but he'll survive of course um and his draft stock shouldn't be hit too much uh it was just more disappointing than anything else and i felt bad for him he clearly looked like he um was super disappointed with how it all happened
1: yeah it was you know i kept getting texts from people on the uh uh, well, I guess watching from home on the television broadcast, the few people that weren't there. And they said they were kind of uh, that they were showing him a lot on the sidelines and it was, it was tough to watch. I, uh, I heard he got a standing ovation when he came back out onto the field. I missed that. I was actually looking, I guess, in the wrong tunnel because he actually exited in the tunnel wh- kind of near where I was sitting. And I guess he came out toward the other, which would make sense. That seemed to be where their locker room was and they ran out, but I missed it. So I didn't know he was on the sideline on crutches until he walked uh, until he kind of hobbled off at halftime, but you're right. I mean, there's really just no, I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's just really disappointing. I mean, right before uh, we started recording, we were talking about it and it was just like talking about the game. in general. I think I said something to the effect of like, you know, if you're writing this as like a movie or a book, cause this team really did kind of have a year that was uh, kind of followed a pretty dramatic script. You would walk out of there and being like, what the hell? Like that was the ending. Like it just, it was completely unceremonious. It was random. It was not anything you were expecting. And, it it sucks for him because you know I thought last I thought last night would kind of be a final high note to his career. I thought Ole Miss was going to win the game. I thought he was going to play well. And it just it just didn't happen. Sometimes the freak things happen, but it was kind of jarring for the next couple of drives, right? Though, because he's played through so much this year and you saw him kind of walk back out or limp back out you know, during the Auburn game, kind of like a Titan. And you thought, you know, this guy's indestructible. Him being able to get through the LSU game and the Liberty game the next week and never really miss any time. You're like, this guy can play through anything. But of course, it's almost like how we were reminded for a second that this guy actually is human. And it was just, it was a bummer. But um uh, kid battled through a lot. And I just hate that that was the final, uh final play of his Ole Miss career.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think I missed the ovation too. I don't remember there being some like super emotional deal, maybe like on that side of the field where he was coming out of the locker room. But I don't think it was anything um, like overly noticeable. But, yeah, super disappointing into it all. Um, And there's only so much you can talk about the game, I mean, without mentioning him because he's obviously such a focal point, you know, leader of the team and everything. So it was just really frustrating to see how it all, that kind of day, the excitement kind of come down to one play, which I thought was unfair.
1: Yeah, it was, and I, it, after it happened and we got back to the football part of it, I was kind of torn from, like, I torn in my thinking of, oh, they're completely sunk, and I think the reason I thought that is because, one, he does so much for them offensively and covers up so many blemishes on its own, coupled with the fact that how Baylor was getting after Ole Miss, even when Corral was there. I mean, Ole Miss's best offense for most of the first quarter of that game, or whenever it was Corral was playing, was – um was him running. And a lot of times it wasn't by design. Like they were really getting after him. Ole Miss really had a trouble blocking up front. And so I was torn in that sense. But on the other hand of it, the defense was playing so well, you know, the drop back passing wasn't really working anyway. I was like, maybe they can kind of do an LSU type game where they just run the hell out of the football Arkansas ish and piece their way into it. Because I didn't, I knew pretty much off the bat after the first couple of drives, like Baylor wasn't getting to 30 and I mean, they only had 14 offensive points and seven of them were set up by a short field. And the wow. other one was just one busted play. So what were you kind of, what were you thinking from a football as it pertained to the game standpoint? Once he, uh, once he exited.
0: Uh, I thought they were in trouble um, just seeing how the game, even though it was so early in the game, I mean, the the offensive line just got zero push. They, they were getting uh, really dominated and they did for four quarters, which, You know, if you have Corral back there, you can overcome that with his running ability, uh, kind of playmaking ability. But, you know, that's a really, really, really good defense. And Luke, you know, I I really like Luke, and I actually don't even think he played that badly. But you knew that it was just a different game without the first round (laughs) round quarterback playing. Uh, I was pretty unconfident about how it all turned out. I didn't think it would exactly turn out the way it did and I think there's some chances Ole Miss had to like really solidify the game for themselves, even with Luke in there. But uh it was I was not confident once he got hurt.
1: Yeah, and it was it was weird how the game was going at that point because Ole Miss got off to a terrible start. Like, you could Corral had the weird interception on the first play. I don't know what –
0: What the hell he, was
1: that? I don't that know. Is... It was it was kind of strange because it all happened so fast. And, like, I had a pretty good view of it because they're throwing from my – right, like, where I was on the end and then right there. And you saw Sanders kind of take off. And I don't know what he thought or what he – maybe he was kind of like, this might be as good as a punt. I doubt that was his thinking. But that was a weird start to the game because he just throws like a like a 20 – uh, 2020 at Arkansas esque interception, where you're like, What the hell is he seeing here? And
0: yeah. then it
1: just that entire first quarter played out very strangely. And then so he leaves, and the air kind of gets taken out of the place, at least from the Ole Miss side. But then they had a little bit of success when Altmeyer came in. And man, was that a backbreaking pick six because you go in, end up going into the locker room down seven nothing, where that's their only offense. Where it looked like for a brief moment there, Ole Miss was about to take control of this game because they got up seven nothing. You know, with the way that game was going, where the defense was playing going into halftime, I, considering everything that happened, that would have been an A plus plus half in terms of a result standpoint.
0: Yeah, I mean, the defense played well the entire night. Truly it's sad. probably their best performance of the year. I mean, they were pretty dominant. Now Baylor is not exactly an offensive juggernaut. That's just not what they are. The quarterback, Mohannan, he's he's not great, but Yeah, I mean, it was like a tip ball, weird deal. Didn't look good, even if it wasn't tipped. Um, And, you know, credit to Baylor for taking it back to the house. That really kind of puts you way back in terms of where you needed to be with the backup in. And it would have been really nice to be tied and kind of make a few adjustments in the second half. Um, But I think they still kind of had to push because they just weren't they weren't taking advantage of a lot of Baylor mistakes and a lot of good plays they had. I mean, there were so many opportunities to really kind of not even take control of the game, but just take momentum of the game Um, and then, you know, not scoring the end of the half there and having them pick six. It was just the start of that.
1: Yeah, you're right, because there were a handful of just what felt like backbreaking plays, that being the the most consequential one, right? Because you think about when this interception touchdown happens, Ole Miss gets a three and out, or really a four and out, right? They stuff him at the line of scrimmage. So Ole Miss inherits it in Baylor territory at the 40. They stuffed Abram Smith at the line of scrimmage. Place is going nuts. Your defense made a play for you, you know, right after you had something catastrophic happen offensively. And then you move it a couple of times. I believe he picked up one or two first downs before the pick six happened. You're right. It was tipped. It wasn't a very good throw anyway. It was a dangerous throw. And then, I mean, a couple of others that stuck out was the missed field goal, both in the first half and the second half. If I'm not mistaken, the missed field goal, 49 yards by Kale Nation. Looked like that got tipped at the line of scrimmage, maybe. I'm not sure how much of a chance that, anyway, came right after the corral injury. And so it was like, man, if you could have just gotten three points there and gotten on the board and kind of regrouped, you missed that. And then the one in the second half was particularly um, deflating as well. So it just felt like there were a handful of plays where it's like, this is not really, a, this is just not really old Mrs. Knight. And I know that's not dynamite analysis, but the game didn't really follow much of a pattern. It was just very strange. It was disjointed. Looking at just some basic numbers offensively, uh, you're right. Gary Bohannon did not have a great night. That man was seven of 17 for 40 yards. He averaged 2.4 yards of completion. And one of those was a touchdown. And, you know, Baylor ended up running it two for 279 yards. You know, I didn't even think Ole Miss was awful against the run now gave up some explosive plays but again you know, 279 yards that came on 41 carries that's not great they averaged six yards a rush i know i'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here but just we'll miss how gained them in this game i think it was like 320 i have it up here yeah 322 to 319 you know killed them on passing yards didn't really have as much success running the football which is probably where one of these came was an overly penalized game it just Again, came down to a handful of plays and Ole Miss didn't make them. And, you know, in a most simplistic sense, that's kind of the plays Corral has made, right? You know, whether it's a third down or punching it in from that side, he's kind of the one that's made the plays and covered up the blemishes and you know, kind of their Superman wasn't here to do that.
0: No, exactly. I mean, I can just think of a few plays. I mean, the missed field goal going up 10-7 was just awful. I mean, my boy, Kale Nation, he – you have to kick the field goal there just the circumstances but he he shouldn't be allowed to kick another field goal he just the he just exudes zero confidence and even if that one was tipped the 49 yarder I mean it wasn't going in I mean he just you know that going ahead of time and then Dean Leonard dropping that interception which could have been a pick six
1: uh that was bad forgot about that one
0: really really bad um Trying to think if there was a few. Others. There was a
1: Braylon Sanders drop. I know he caught the touchdown, but there was a drop going the other way where he uh, Altmaier made a pretty good threw a pretty good ball. I don't remember exactly what the sequence was, but the only reason I remember that is because the basically the entire road behind me basically yelled some version of "Come on, help your guy out!" Like there's a drop in. Yeah, there.
0: yeah, I remember what you're talking about.
1: I, I, uh, I, I forgot about the Dean Leonard play. That looked like a little bit of a tougher play, but man, if they could have capitalized on that, it That's just
0: I'm saying, yeah,
1: exactly ch- changes the game. And they just uh, they just didn't do it. Oh, just kind of bouncing around here. Let's just get to Alt performance because I had a tweet last night as I left the game that was kind of taken as an anti-Altmeyer thing uh it's basically to the gist of like oh Miss was never winning this game without Corral but it seemed like a rather uh, dark glimpse into the future it will be interesting to see how Kiffin reloads and reinvents himself in a way um you know I mentioned you know they don't really exactly have many reinforcements coming people took that as an anti-Altmeyer thing and look if another pe- enough people I've learned on the internet if they take it a certain way Probably wasn't written better. There's nothing more insufferable than the guys like you, you're all idiots. You don't know what I mean. So I probably didn't word it great. That was after quite a few fence post coors lights in there. So you know I wasn't exactly wordsmithing it up <laughs> as I was walking home. But it was less of an anti-Altmire thing. But I did think it was relevant in some degree. Whereas like even if Altmar is good, they're gonna have to get better going forward in a lot of different areas, just because you know. It, Corral covered up for a lot of that, I guess was my point. But I thought some of their deficiencies in other areas, throw, whether it was a receiver dropping, you know, a pass or them getting whipped on the offensive line, that was really the story of the night. It just they just weren't good enough to overcome it, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I mean, in terms of Altmire's performance, I, I thought all things considered, he he played fine. Um, obviously the the two interceptions were were tough, um, basically just giving them points. Um, don't ever want that, but you're playing, you know, the backup quarterback, the game plan's changing. You can't run the ball. You can't block him and give Luke, like, any time. He did a great job of, scr- of scrambling and making some plays. Um, you know, he wasn't supposed to play in this game, <laughs> and Levy was probably like, oh, shit. I think they even saw him. They called him on camera saying, you know, oh, shit, or oh, fuck, or whatever he said after Matt got hurt. It just changes everything, and um, all things considered, I think he played okay. I think he sh- showed exactly what I, th- I thought he would, which is he's never going to be scared in the moment. doesn't mean he's going to be perfect, but the kid's got a ton of confidence, um, and he's played pretty big-time football in high school. And I think he's had a really good year so far learning and understanding what they're trying to do, but they definitely had to vanilla up some things, and when you can't run the ball and you can't block – you're just in trouble no matter what. And it kind of just showed slowly but surely throughout the game that it was just going to be really tough for them to win. Um But I didn't it, – it's tough because I think they want to bring another quarterback, and I don't blame them even if you love Almire, You just need another one. Um But I do understand your sentiment. Like, you're, you're losing an elite quarterback, first-round player, which – I think people are going to realize just how good he was next year. No matter who the quarterback is, you are not going to get a better one than him. Then that's not even including the fact that you're losing Umana at center, you're losing Ely, you're losing Braylon, you're losing Drummond, you're losing Sam Williams. I mean, you could be losing Campbell and Mark Robinson. So it's not necessarily. Lost
1: to Ely. I don't know if you said that one in there, yeah, but they Ely. also lost, I know Ben Brown was hurt, but like they were going to use, lose, uh, that was late in the year. But you're, I heard some possibly some rumblings about maybe him getting another year. I don't know, but the, on paper right now, it's, it appears as if you lost right.
0: him. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't, it's not just a Luke thing. It's just the, the team in general. And, you know, I, I know there's been a lot of recruiting talk, but that hasn't exactly gone swimmingly um, at, at all. So you, you're just in a weird, a weird situation of great season, really frustrating, sad ending and not a whole lot of, you know, glitz and glam and happy feelings going forward, whether that's fair or not. Um, So it, it's a weird deal, and uh, I think they're going to have to do some serious, serious, serious hitting in the portal if you want to be a competitive, you know, attempt to kind of recreate what you had
1: this season. Yeah, and to kind of add further context to like the, I guess, the sentiment I shared on Twitter last night, like it, it really wasn't an anti-Altmeyer thing because it was an impossible situation to throw him in. You mentioned it's a limited menu, right? They're obviously not trusting him to do everything Matt Corral does. It's totally understandable. They're already, I mean, even if Corral was in, they are already getting just absolutely blitzkrieged in terms of a pass rush. Weren't having enough consistent success running the ball for him to be able to use that as a, you know, quote-unquote, crutch. The best thing he was able to do was improv. So, like, it really wasn't anti-Altmire at all in that sense. It was an impossible situation to be thrown into. From your experience just being around the football building, and I know you probably don't know an exact answer to this, kind of give some context to when you lose a guy, particularly – your starter in general, but a guy like Matt Corral, how much does the menu shrink, do you think, in terms of what they can do offensively?
0: Well, I think Levy ha- has done a good job of, you know, keep – I'm sure he has. I mean, obviously I don't know this for sure, of keeping Luke in the loop. And, you know, he's your backup quarterback, so he's taking a lot of reps during practice. He's learning. Um, but it, it, it's going to shrink. You know, it's not like an NFL playbook. That it's not like you're losing Drew Brees and, like, you're in an incredibly – Difficult, intricate offense. Um, you're still running the same kind of stuff, but there's no way you're gonna be able to do everything um, the same just with a different quarterback. I mean, the arm strengths are different. You're probably not pushing the ball down the field as much. Um, Altmire is a very capable runner, but he's not Matt. So I mean, th- there are a lot of things change, and I-, I saw a ton of of ragging on Levy. Like, oh, we shouldn't have even been coaching this game. Like he, could, he had a terrible game, and It's so ridiculous like they lost your starting quarterback like that's if you want to blame anybody I mean I never want to do this but I mean the players didn't exactly play very well the offensive line got their ass kicked I don't care who was calling the plays it just was not their night and uh that that kind of narrative sentiment was a little was a little frustrating a little probably not even remotely necessary but uh it is what it is,
1: yeah. I don't understand, uh, I I don't understand that angle on things at all. And then another thing I thought about last night as it was happening is there anything to the fact that you know Corral gets hurt when he did? I realize it wasn't the first drive of the game, but like not only are you kind of having to shrink your menu, it didn't seem like Levy had had a, a ton of time to figure out what was and wasn't working in that game, even when Corral was going. Is there anything to that aspect of it? It felt like they were still feeling each other out a bit when Corral got hurt, so he didn't even get kind of a large sample size of what was working and what wasn't working when Corral was in. Yeah.
0: I mean, it looked like it was going to be a very similar game plan at Tennessee. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of quarterback run, a lot of uh, zone reads and then take, or it's not zone reads, zone sweeps to drum in and then kind of take your shots here and there. I mean, even when Luke got in there, there was a ton of quarterback draw quarterback run which is which is great because if your offensive line is a block you've got to you know keep the defensive lineman honest um in their run pass and everything so i mean it, it's a, it was a weird deal i yeah i don't think he really had a good footing and good feeling and then now you're trying to incorporate another quarterback uh that's just not a rep that's not a good recipe for success
1: he goes 15 of 28 for 174. Six point two yards, a uh a completion with the one touchdown to Sanders on the sideline, which was a great ball. And a uh obviously the two back breaking interceptions. You know, you you were a guy that were around when y'all recruited him. You kind of gave earlier in the year in the podcast your uh your sort of pitch on what you saw from him. It seemed like kind of that to a T, right? He's got a, a good arm. He's tough as hell. And, that you know, it's nothing else. He wasn't shrunken by the moment last night. I know it didn't go great, and he was getting absolutely blitzed, but he never looked afraid. Did that kind of fall in line of what you thought he would look like when you were recruiting him if he'd had to step in this early in his career?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say so. Um, I, I've never thought that he was going to be, like, the highest upside player in the world. Um, he's not very big. Um, and he doesn't have exactly a cannon, but he's he's pretty accurate. He's super, super tough. And he's a smart kid. And he came in and he executed the offense to the best of his abilities. He made some really good throws. Uh, he made some some poor throws. Uh, he, he extended plays better than I, even I thought he would. Uh, from his junior year to senior year, he looked like he just got like a lot more athletic in high school. Um, and he also had to deal with the shit offensive line. So he was used to that going into the going into tonight. Um, so I wasn't surprised, um, I, I like the kid a lot. I think he's fully capable of, of potentially being the starter next year. And I've, I've said that multiple times on this podcast before last night, um, but that'll be a decision for them to make. And um, it's looking like it, that might be what they have to do regardless, because I don't know of any quarterback they're even going after right now.
1: Um, so I, I do not know what they're going to do next. And the second interception looked like a product of kind of things going too fast I, and like just kind yeah. of a natural. It, Baylor's a good defense. You got to give the there. It's not like he came in against like a, I don't even really know what would be comparable, but like this wasn't Tulane or it wasn't trying to go win, you know, take care of business against Vanderbilt or Liberty and survive. Like this was this is an impossible test. I, I'm curious, you know, last night, I felt like it was still a lot of uh, TBD in terms of whether you just, you like, if you're posing the question, Do you hand the reins to him next year? There was nothing that he did last night that necessarily changed my mind one way or another. It just felt like a lot of, and maybe it's an option, but you'd probably like to have someone else in there. Do you think this, how they view, how they viewed next year at all? And I guess the second part of that, do you think anything that would have happened last night would have changed how they viewed next year? No,
0: that that was going to be my answer was no, nothing about last night should affect anything going forward win or lose. I mean, it's unfortunate the way college football works these days, but these games are irrelevant. They are. And I'd be saying that if Ole Miss won, it, it would have been an irrelevant win or an irrelevant loss. Um, so, no, you should definitely not be making any rash decisions about next year's football team based off of what happened in the Sugar Bowl. Absolutely not. That you
1: cannot do that. And Given's um, definitely got his
0: work cut out for
1: him. So it still seems pretty obvious. You think they prefer to go in the portal because that was the takeaway I had last night. Kiffin was actually asked about that and gave a you know, kind of a non-committal answer. He's like, "Look, I thought Luke did some good things. We didn't play very well around him, but it it sounds like that they they're probably still pretty hell bent on going in, in the portal. Even if uh you know even if they actually did like something str- like clicked and they're like actually he is our guy next year. Don't you need to bring another dude in anyway? I mean they're yes. gonna go into the spring unless they get someone before that or in the February period with. Ken K. dent and luke Altmeyer, you mentioned how very uncharacteristic it was not to have a high school quarterback even if you wanted to go to the portal they got to bring another body and just no matter who it was
0: no i mean for a lack of a better term or word and i don't mean to be harsh here uh, it's just my opinion but not signing a high school quarterback is is close to like recruiting malpractice i mean it, it's it's kind of unacceptable at least it, it's just my opinion you know so maybe they think differently and that's fine, but you can't do that. You just can't do it. So, you, yeah, you got to bring someone in. And that guy can compete with Luke. And if he, he, Luke beats him out, then that, that's, that's great. That means, you know, things are going in the right direction with him and his development. But, yeah, they're, they're going to bring one in, I would say. and I mean, that seems like a full-blown guarantee at this point.
1: Yeah, I think you're right as well. What's so, and it was interesting in that aspect of it. I, I don't even remember them being overly hard in on a kid out of high school unless it with the kid from California Brown, maybe they were in, but they didn't seem like they were seriously in on a kid where they had a realistic chance, unless I'm, I'm forgetting someone.
0: Yeah. I mean, I helped kind of build the 2022 quarterback board. And I mean, these kids commit so early. I mean, we're, we're there sitting there and last, you know, whenever that was. And I mean, there's guys committed during the year last year. And the, for the 2022 quarterbacks, and we really never made traction with one that I thought that we had a great shot with that I can remember. And then, of course, they, they had the two California guys who were recruiting, Devin Brown. Well, He's, he's a Utah kid. He's actually an Arizona kid who moved okay. to Utah. Um, and then the other cat who went to UCLA, maybe, whose name I can't think of off the top of my head that I know <laughs> – Excuse me.
1: And that's high school kid. You're not, obviously not talking Gabriel.
0: No, 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 High school kid um, whose name I can't think of that's out there from Irvine. Um, but, I mean, I didn't remember really thinking about who else they were going after. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they've got their work cut out of that position, and they're going to have to find somebody just for depth, if not just for a starter.
1: Yep. I think you're exactly right. And do you think that's um, – <sighs> not painting you in a corner here, but what do you think the reason for that was? Like, do you think it's, you know, the people that believe it's a lack of or- Kiffin has a lack of organization and recruiting and, you know, maybe not have the greatest attention to detail comes that what, what do you think happened there? Like it, it would be weird to call that an oversight because it's the most important position on the field. Just why do you think they went this direction that they're going? Because it puts a lot of pressure on hitting and missing and really just finding a guy in the portal. <sighs>
0: I don't know the answer. Uh, There's a few answers I I would put out there, but I'm not comfortable putting out there here. uh, My thoughts on how it all went down. Um, I mean, they they just missed. And then, you know, you can say that their mindset was going in the portal anyway, and that's fine. You can believe that if you'd like to, um, because that's not true. (laughs) There's no way they didn't want to sign a high school kid. And that's not saying that they won't sign one, Coming up in February, that's like kind of out of nowhere or something like that. I would say that would be pretty shocking, but it's not impossible. Um, I don't know what happened. What you can say, recruiting organization, you know, the head coach maybe not doing his part, Um, Webby not getting one done. I mean, he's not, you know, foolproof by any means and all of this. I, I don't know. I don't think there's one, you know, glaring reason why it happened, but it just really shouldn't have. And you know this can all be made null by some you know baller coming out of the portal and landing him. And that like I'll always say until it doesn't happen, it's it's possible. But I do not know what they're going to do there. I do not know why it ended up being the way it was with this one.
1: And uh, kind of putting a bow on that aspect of it, like or kind of I guess transitioning elsewhere, I would be a better way to put it. The other aspect of this game was Baylor's defensive line. I. I it's a loaded question saying how impressed were you with them. I knew they were good. Um, I didn't know they were uh, – you know, I didn't think they were that level. It felt like Oklahoma State got a lot, pretty much all of the Big 12 defensive shine this year because it's not a league not no necessarily known for its defense. But, you know, we had Travis Roder on the podcast, and he mentioned Baylor's got a really, really good defensive line. A couple of those guys are going to be serious problems for Ole Miss. And, boy, did that turn out to be prophetic. I know Ole Miss probably didn't have a great night, and they tell you they played terrible or whatever – but man, they had some dudes that were good.
0: No. Yeah. They're they're. I mean, that's Dave Aranda is as good of a defensive coach in the country. And those guys have some really talented players on that side of the ball. And they absolutely showed it. I mean, you can say Ole Miss played bad, but that's probably because Baylor forced them to, because that's how good those guys played last night. I mean, they were in different fronts. They were using exotic blitzes. They were, they were just handling Ole Miss truly the entire time. And that's why I'm, like, not counting Luke out and calling his performance bad or anything because he had, like, no time, truly no time. And he was so sped up towards the end of that third and fourth quarter because he, like, he knew that he was in trouble if he held that ball for three seconds. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty impressed with them um, defensively the entire night. Nothing about them was impressive offensively. But defensively, that's a that's a dangerous football team. They, they hit – They are fast. They are strong. They're just really, really well coached and really good.
1: And they're opportunistic. You know, I mean, the Ole Miss dropped what could have been a pick six, like you mentioned, and Baylor made two interceptions where they weren't – I mean, the first one kind of when it got tipped fell into the guy's bread basket, but he still got to catch it and take it to the house. And the second one was thrown into coverage, but it's a lot of traffic there, and the guy made the play. The other aspect of it, too, as good as the defensive line was, when you start, I started looking at some of this just base level statistics this morning – at least five of their sacks, I think six, came from their linebackers as well. I mean, the Bernard kid finished with 17 total tackles, 10 solo, two sacks, two TFLs, and a pass deflection. That's, uh, you know, we talk about productive players aren't always good players. I think that probably counts as both. And so, you know, I think they realized early in the game they could get pressure you know, without blitzing. And then when they did blitz, it just became a madhouse. But again, they were also really good against the run. Their front seven really just kind of kicked Ole Miss's ass. Ole Miss finished, I think, with 138 yards rushing on 54 carries. That's good for a whopping 2.6 yards per rush. That's not going to win a lot of games.
0: No, it's not. It didn't look good either. No, I'm honestly surprised that it was even that many yards.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. It, it, It didn't look great. On top of that, this was as I was thinking back, this was the first time the offensive line looks completely overwhelmed since the Alabama game. Was it not? I mean, that looks similar to that in that aspect of it, but they had been pretty good ever since. And I'm probably missing a sequence or a half or something where it didn't go great for them. But that was the first time where it seemed like or I can remember that they just got absolutely dominated since that Alabama game. No,
0: absolutely. I mean, I know there's a lot of people ragging on the coaches for this
1: game and everything. I mean,
0: this offensive line unit has been patchworked for, like, almost the entire year. And with the exception of two games, yeah, they were two losses. I guess really you could count three because they didn't exactly have their best day against Auburn. Um, I mean, for the remainder of the season, they've been pretty solid, if not good, um, all things considered. And, you know, that just was not the case last night for whatever reason. Um, I would point towards the other team just being really talented and, and kind of whipping them. Um, but yeah, it was it was a weird game. It was a bad, tough game for them uh, for sure. And there's going to have to be some some mixing and matching going into next year because you're losing some of those guys.
1: Yeah, they are, um, and that's going to be and you know that's kind of one of the unsung parts in, in having to retool on the offensive line. I do think they have a little bit of depth there, and there's some guys that could uh, you know they could kind of full become game ready in that aspect of it. But yeah, it wasn't a great night for them um, on the offensive line and they do have to replace a decent bit of it next year. And it's, it's going to be uh, fascinating, but you're right. Like when you talk about the game plan and everything and not liking the play calling or blah, 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 it goes back to what we said after the Alabama game, where it's like, you know, if you can't block, there's not really a whole else you ought to do. There's no really game planning out of that. There's not a whole lot you could do. And I think it would have been a struggle. This game would have been an offensive struggle with Matt Corral in there, he just is so good and such a great runner and so great throwing the ball on his feet, too, that you just wonder if he could have made a handful of plays that wills them to a win as he had so many times this year. Like that's really the main difference. But to Altmar's credit, when we talk about the nice things he did, there's some improv stuff that was awesome. The, uh, I can't remember his third or fourth down conversion to Drummond. Uh, were you as surprised as I was as that ball was snapped before the end of the quarter? That was uh, dumbfounding to me. Do you remember this play? It couldn't the, believe
0: it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: I, they they got it, and Luke made a great throw, and Drummond made a great catch. But I was like, wait, oh, I was like, why in the hell did they snap that? doesn't <laughs> make any sense. I was that was shocking to me. But that that aside, it was. uh I thought he did some nice things on improv, and you make it sound like that. You know, he's had to do that since high school. So I imagine that's where some of that, along with the toughness, comes from.
0: Yeah, I would guess so. I mean, he he got out of that sack. You know, rolling left, throws a 25-yard dart to Drummond. I mean, it was a hell of a play. And, you know, those are some of the things you've seen on, on film with him at Starkville. And, you know, that Starkville team had a terrible offensive line. And when you watch every game, like I used to, of these quarterbacks, you know, you kind of get their their tendencies. And this, this kid has been able to make some real plays with his feet. And uh, he just got to get a little bit stronger. But I, I do like his possibilities of being a really good player. He does some great from really good things.
1: What do you think his, like kind of wrapping up the Altmar aspect? what do you think his, like, uh, like his, his future looks like, I I would bet at the end of the day, someone else is probably the full-time starter next year, but do you think this is sort of like wet his beak enough to wait it out? I mean, he's young, right? He came in last year as an early enrollee. Like you, you don't, I guess you don't, do you see this as a scenario where he ends up departing the program Or do you think he's kind of able to wait it out? And maybe he takes over next year, maybe beats out the guy. But, you know, my guess would be if he does stay, that would be the starter in 2023. How do you see this playing out for him?
0: Yeah, I would – it would be pretty shocking if he left. Um, I I just think that that just wouldn't make a lot of sense for him. You know, if they bring in a portal guy, he'll probably be a one-year guy. Um, Just depending on who it is, nobody knows. And then – so you get to sit for another year. And then 2023, you're the starting quarterback. You know, unless you get Arch and even I don't even think Arch would start as a true freshman. Um, that's a whole different conversation. But, yeah, I think he's going to stick through it. Um, but the way these, this stuff works, I mean, if so, they bring in a portal quarterback and he's not starting, you never know what he'll do. Um, I wouldn't anticipate a transfer by any means, but these days it's it's all up in the air.
1: Right. Um, really, I guess just last one of the last final big picture game thoughts, uh, as it pertains to the offensive side, they had a chance to kind of take control of this game in the second half. It was seven, seven. They were playing well. They were moving the ball. They were, I mean, it was a lot of improv stuff, but they were kind of, kind of figuring it out a little bit. You had the, uh, you had the, uh, was it the Finley interception? I can't remember who it was. Who caught that interception? Oh, Miles Battle. Excuse me. Made a hell of a play there. Hell like, of a play. Yeah. And that's after the missed field goal, I think, or at least one of them. Okay. Um, but it it was, uh, it, you know, you make a hell of a play there. They had a chance. But that uh, field goal that the second one that he missed, that is uh, 40. That was not long. I've trying to find it, but I can't find the damn thing uh, because, of course, I can't.
0: Yeah, 35-yarder. 35 35-yarder, 35
1: 35. somewhere around there he misses it. Uh, You know, that's when you would probably love to not have your starting kicker who was really damn good, not get suspended for steroids. How about that dynamite analysis? You would have rather had Caden Costa there, which is just (laughs) another tough break for this team.
0: Yeah. You, it would be really nice to have the guy and who knows what the hell his future is. I mean, I don't understand any of that stuff. Me neither. Is he like available next
1: year? Is he not? Like, I don't understand this.
0: No, I I do not know. I I really do not know. And that's, um, a low key, like pretty big hit to this team if he can't come back and play. Uh, because you're not gonna have a quarterback, you're gonna be overly confident going for on fourth down every damn time. So, uh, they need to figure that one out for sure,
1: yeah. Because I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, you know, they're talking about the appeal. Kiffin gave the classic line, I can't talk about his situation because of HIPAA, which was just hilariously, hilariously wrong. false, yeah. Yes, to, to, to probably
0: like just say, I can't talk about it.
1: <laughs> but I'm sure it's a suspension do it, for next year though, right? Because it wouldn't make any sense to appeal games that already happened unless the kid's just dying to get it off his permanent record or something. And I'm joking <laughs> yeah, there. That explains. doesn't really exist. But right, like you're, you're, you're clearly like, it's an appeal to try to play next year, I would assume. And you know, you're kind of into, I mean, you know how the, some of the scholarship management works. He's a good kicker, but are you going to wait a year on a kicker if it doesn't, if it doesn't hold up? I mean, if it, the suspension holds up, which it sounds like it probably will just a guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do not know. I mean, you would, I would assume no, but uh, they're going to have to figure that out. That's a weird situation, probably one you don't see very often. Um, and I don't know exactly what the full kind of – what the current punishment is, but uh, that's something they have to figure out.
1: Yep, and, you know, I didn't think that necessarily were going to win the game with ten points, but with the way defense was playing, it's like, hey, if you get the ten up on the board – you can try, maybe you get a turnover, manufacture a touchdown that way and see if you can just hold on for dear life to the finish line. But I didn't necessarily think they were going to win that game scoring 10 points. And it was really deflating. After that defense kind of finally caves a little, they get them on the speed sweep or whatever it was for the touchdown. And just a tough situation all around, but that shouldn't diminish how the defense played the night because they were outstanding. And that's probably the more, as we talk about this game instead of the big picture, that's probably the more pleasant side of this man. Did they play well? And as I sat back last night kind of reflecting on it as I got back to my hotel room, they were a hell of a lot of fun to watch in the second half of the season. It's the first time I've enjoyed watching an Ole Miss defense since t- 2014. We were like, these guys fly around, they hit well. It goes beyond them just being good and helping the team. That was a lot of fun to watch, and last night included. They For you know, all but four or five plays, they were incredible.
0: They were a really good college football defense this year absolutely were there's no way I mean they were uh, you know they were sound with their assignments they hit hard they rushed the passer. they created turnovers they were just really good and uh, I think halfway through the through the year kind of a little after Arkansas and stuff like that I think even some of the national people noticed national like people who covered the SEC were like okay like this team is not like an air raid run and gun Texas Tech like these guys actually play defense with the exception, and we've talked about it, the weird ass Arkansas game. I mean, right. this, this team played really well, and um, you're losing you're losing some guys from that defense. You're getting some guys back next year who are really good, impactful players. Um, this whole DJ Durkin deal, maybe going A and M that I saw a few days ago on the board, um, that would suck a lot. Um, he's done a just a remarkable job, truly. Um, but so, I mean, there's some definitely question marks on that side of the ball, but they were, they were a blast this year and they won some games for Ole Miss when usually it's the other way around.
1: Yeah, it was. And you mentioned the first, it was really like saying it's a one game. I think that's a really, really good point because Durkin got asked about this earlier in the week. I think he had his press conference the day we were recording our uh, Thursday show that kind of led about Charlie Weiss, but he got, asked, he got asked about the second half of the year, and that be, kind of became the storyline and the narrative. And I think that's probably because, as you mentioned, the national guys, you know, started catching on. It's like, actually, this team's, you know, not this run and gun, have to score 40 points to have a chance. But it really was, Durkin answered, he said, I thought we played well all year, you know, outside of one game. And that's not something we are proud of, right? We're not proud of that Arkansas game. But he said, I thought the guys played well for most of the year. But it really was, you know, it, what, they played 13 games this year and they played pretty well for most of 11 of them, it was a, uh, it was a fun defense to watch and it, you know, beyond it, carrying the team, the second part of the year is just enjoyable. And I don't think Ole Miss fans had had that in a long time and they're going to lose a lot of guys off of that group. Uh, I think they return, you know, enough to still be pretty good next year, but you know, that collection of guys seemed to, be really tight knit and seem to like playing with each other as well. And I think that sometimes played into them playing fast and kind of flying around. It just, they looked like they were having a lot of fun the second half of this season too.
0: No, absolutely. And uh, when it comes to like continuity and going forward, if somehow or some way Durkin ends up leaving, I mean, you, you can lose that quickly. Absolutely can. I mean, you're, you'll probably bring a, a new guy with a new scheme, a new mindset, possibly new assistant coaches. And, um, I mean, that can be a positive. It could, they can improve upon it. They can get better. Or you can kind of lose some of the edge, some of the continuity, the understanding between the players and the coaches that you have right now. I mean, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to say, you know, as we've said this whole time, that there, there's going to be a lot of changes to this team coming up. And a lot of those changes are trying to improve upon a really, really good season. Because at this point, just with Ole Miss football in general, there, there's only one goal, and that's Atlanta. So you got to figure out the best way to put together a football team
1: that could accomplish that. What was, is there one thing that stuck out that surprised you the most about this defense? I would say it would be the back end. I, I
0: think the back end played so much better than I thought they would. I, I think the miles battle switch credit to coach Buckley, whether he was ever really serious about it or not, or if it was all just a, elaborate joke that ended up turning out correctly, but he wanted Miles Battle to play corner. They were the last year when they were losing guys, didn't have a lot of depth. They're like, I want six to come play corner. And Miles, you know, I thought it was going to be a disaster. Um shows how much I know. Uh it, it worked out and ended up being a really, really great switch. And he, you know, bought in, which is a credit to him. And the coaches did a phenomenal job with that. And uh, he, he, with him and Dean Leonard and uh, DeAndre Prince and AJ and Jake Springer and Tysheem in the back end, I mean, those five guys, six guys, seven guys played really good football for pretty
1: much the entire year. I think that's a uh, good that one as well. I think the linebackers up there as well. Like, you know, yeah. Mark Robinson, raging success. I didn't know what to make of Chance Campbell, but that turned out as well as you could have possibly hoped for to the point where, you know, you didn't see a whole lot of go. You saw, I guess there were signs of it. Jaques Jones leaves right late in the summer. Like It turned out to be a pretty good group with, with a decent bit of depth. And, you know, that was, that was a pretty surprising part as well. And then I don't know if this necessarily is surprising, but it was good to see Sam Williams actually become the player kind of everyone had hoped he'd become. And you know, there were times even at the beginning of part of the season where it was like, I still don't know. It's still not always consistent. And then, you know, he turns into an absolute force. I mean, look at the Egg Bowl, for example. That's kind of like, you know, the Sam Williams highlight of his career in that sense. And so those were two other things that stuck out as well. But they did a great job this year. And the defense was more exciting to watch than the offense for, like, the majority of this season. And I'm not really sure I would have ever thought there was a world that was the case with Matt Corral and the way that the defense played in 2020.
0: It's completely true. (laughs) It really is. I mean, you were were never – like cringing when the offense had to go out and punt, it was always there. All right. You know, we, we trust this team for the first time in a long time Uh, they're going to figure this thing out and it's going to be just fine. And that, that was awesome.
1: Yeah, it was. And I mean, I think that the embodiment of that partially is last night too. And not necessarily when crowd went out thinking they're going to be fine, but you know, they throw the early interception. They're not having much trouble offensively. You felt pretty good about their chances to kind of hang around in a lower scoring game, because maybe one of the surprising things last night, Baylor, you know, pretty good running team. Like they were either first or second in the Big 12 in rushing, but they really had nothing going early on in the game. Ole Miss really took it to them at the line of scrimmage, I thought, early. They got a little worn down late, some busted plays, but they, I, I, was, I was impressed with how well they kind of took it to them and established the line of scrimmage early. The most notable one, that early fourth down stop, um, you know, right after Altmaier was inserted into the game.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, in terms of Baylor's scoring and everything, I mean, they scored on a pick six, they scored on a kind of a busted that, uh, that jet sweep that was a, was a pretty impressive play. And then Altmeyer threw that pick inside like the 20 yard line and that they, they ran like three plays for a touchdown. They, they just did not really control the game, um, offensively. Really, Ole Miss's defense took it to him. It just kind of wasn't enough in the end.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. I don't think there was really much else from this game. We kind of covered the Altmeyer aspect of it. Um, you know, the defense played well, wasn't enough. Just, this is a fun team, you know. This wasn't, and this probably lends itself to the bigger picture conversations we were talking about. That as it relates back to my tweet, this is a fun team, but it like wasn't a great roster, and they had a, a game changing player really take them to the next level. And now with him gone, it 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 feels like there's a lot of work to be done for this team to come anywhere close to the results that they had this year in 2022. Look, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. They'll take somewhat of a step back, but. I think what they get done between now and August will determine how much. And I guess the general sentiment seems to be, you would have liked to see them have a little bit more hay in the barn in that respect at this point, because there's a still ton of work to be done.
0: Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And that's why I've always been so cautious on the, 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 the portal approach because you just, you lose so much of your team. Um, you know, you're, you're getting Jake Springer, Mark Robinson, Chance Campbell in, and then you lose them the next year. And if you're not recruiting well the, on the high school end, you, your depth kind of goes out the window. And this has been a, uh, a rebuild, and it's been a quick one. Um, and sometimes that can get coaches killed, and that's not necessarily fair. I mean, I think you saw like A&M, they came in and they started, they started pretty hot. And then if you don't reach that standard and continue to reach that standard, it's like you're failing. When in reality, you just really had an incredible quarterback uh, that was kind of kind of overcoming those those obstacles of the actual roster. And I think they they really do have a long way to go to get this thing into where you're competing year in year out, not you know up and down, not. Uh, every two or three years, you got finally got a team that can compete. And, I mean, that's the goal for Ole Miss football. Um, so, it's just – there's just a lot of work to be done. And I'm not saying they can't do it, because I do think they can. But you're losing coaches. That doesn't help with portal recruiting if you have open spots. Um, it's just it, – it's an interesting dynamic. It's a, it's a tough challenge. And um, they're going to have to be up for it, because this is the SEC. Oklahoma and Texas are coming soon. <laughs> Uh, There's just a lot. You you can go from super relevant to super relevant very quickly. And uh, I know they're going to try to avoid that huge drop off this next season.
1: Yep. That's well said. I think this was a eight and four ish roster and, you know, Corral, I mean, I'm beating a dead horse here, but Corral seemed to be the guy that, you know, turned them into 10 and two. I think they lose against Tennessee and, you know, probably one more in their Arkansas LSU and, now you lose enough off of what is an eight and four type roster to where, like, how far does this take a step back? Does this go to five and seven? Like, the, the drop off is so much more because they eked out a couple of close games, as I mentioned, you know, with the
0: well, that's what good teams do. No, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. right.
1: It's a good team. Like, I, I, I'm not taking credit away from that. I'm just, it feels like the fall could be farther considering what they lose, you know, from a roster that wasn't, you know, necessarily a 10 and two one on paper. And that's the fascinating aspect of it. Um, of it to me and then you know we'll hit some note news and notes here Jared on ely announced last night after the game this was his final collegiate game he's going to enter the nfl draft sounds like he got a pretty decent grade upon initial words i'm guessing that somewhere in the i don't know this at all but guessing somewhere in the third round aspect of it did this news surprise you at all
0: uh no it didn't really surprise me and i don't know anything about his grade um from nfl guys i didn't ask anybody i don't i don't know um, you don't always assume that just because a guy leaves, he got a good grade. Right. Uh, that's not exactly how it happens and how it works. You know, these kids don't just go back to college because they didn't get the grade they wanted that, you know, that's, um, not the case every single time, but I'm not surprised. Um, I think this running back room is going to look a lot different. You know, I would assume Snoop and Parrish will be here. You know, Zach Evans will play football somewhere next year. <laughs> Uh, It could be Ole Miss. It could be, uh, you know, just skipping out in college and going to play in the new pro football league or something. I mean, who knows with that kid? Um, But, I mean, it's a tough loss. Ely had an up-and-down year, but, you know, he's a really talented football player. uh, So they're going to
1: have to figure that out as well not a great question but like what do you what do you think he projects as as a pro because he's a very interesting back and someone who doesn't know football as well like me like I don't really know how to evaluate him I know the home run hitting ability is great when it's there like I know the like there's some great things to him but then also he had some bad games like how do you think he projects as a professional prospect
0: (sighs) as kind of like a a third down pass catching back, which is not exactly hard hitting analysis. Right. Um, I I predict that he will, his draft will not go the way he may think it might. Um, And that's not necessarily all on him. I think that's just a devaluation of the running back in the NFL. Um, He is not an in-between the tackles kind of guy. So he's really not a three down back in that league. Um, I think he'll be a scheme kind of guy um going to a team that would use him i think he would do great somewhere like like in arizona where you're where you're you're playing in that kind of running gun shooting offense and you can really catch the ball well out of the backfield um maybe a place like buffalo you know they're probably gonna need another back um be really cold but but you know they don't they throw the ball a lot and he's not exactly going to be uh you know, pass blocking against Darius Leonard very often or, you know, those kind of guys. That's going to be a mismatch. He's going to be a pass catching guy. I would project. Late fourth round. Okay, I think that 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 sounds about right to me. Um, I could be way off. All it takes is for one team to just absolutely love you, to overreach and take you. it would be legitimately shocking if he was taken in one of the first two rounds, that would be legitimately shocking. Um, just in my opinion, I could be way off, uh, but I don't think I will be.
1: In your opinion, what's the argument like against him staying? Is it just not wanting to get paid and not having another year of miles on the tires?
0: Uh, yeah, which I don't necessarily disagree with. Uh, I think running backs, you don't, you, you can just don't need any more miles. Um, I don't know exactly what he'd be able to show you this year that he hasn't been able to show you in the past. Uh, he's not going to get any bigger. Um, his ball skills aren't going to get worse. Uh, his speed's going to still be there, uh, but he'll just be able to go there um, with, you know, less tread. And that, that's, that's a positive for him.
1: So do you think the uh, – do you think the Ely decision, you know, Snoop, I think – I don't remember if Snoop was asked about it last night or before the game. I saw a quote where he said, I'm only focused on this loss right now, so he may have been asked that somewhere. Do you think that affects his decision?
0: Um, It could. I mean, I would believe that he's going to stay. I-, I think there are things that Snoop can do to absolutely improve his draft stock. Um, now, he's played a lot of football in college. You know, he played a lot as a freshman, a lot this year um last year and everything uh but he can show his ability to catch the football improve on that and then when you've got a guy like him who is, is he's just a bigger back he is um kind of a one cut guy downhill guy but he is a, he's a handful to tackle and if you can show him how to how to catch the ball and catch it effectively i mean i could see him being kind of like a uh, like a mark ingram kind of back um the way the saints use him and that's you know marking is a pretty high standard um but you know in that kind of mold of he can actually be a three down and it fell back
1: and you always figure two of the three would be back it seemed unlikely all three hey, i just you know a little inside baseball here i went on the uh post game show that they're having on sunday night in the middle of us recording this and we took a little bit of a break but while we took the break you know, I didn't know this, but Neil, of course, was on top of it, talking about how apparently they were supposedly getting a commitment from Zach Evans today, and as we said at 8:35 on a Sunday night, that uh, that hasn't happened yet. Shocking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the kid. Dude, that's what I said. I was like, damn, that's shocking. The kid seems like a real straight shooter. How, how much better do you think that makes the football team though? Because even without Le'Vey, they seem fine there. I'm not saying you they shouldn't want or like. Wouldn't want to have a Zach Evans, but just like how much better do you think that actually makes them
0: significantly? Really? <laughs> um, I mean, if you watch, just go watch some Zach Evans at TCU. Um, when he was not injured, I think he got a little hurt this year. That guy was the best running back, not named Bijan Robinson in maybe the country. I mean, that guy is special, and if he just gets his head on straight, stays focused. Um, which in Oxford, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. Hopefully, he can do that here. You know, get away from some people that are probably, you know, a pain in his ass. Um, he can be a really special football player. He would probably be the best running back Ole Miss has had on this team, uh, for a very long time. Wow. Um, I- that's including Ely. The, the kid, go watch some of his stuff. When he's on, he's as good as anybody in the country.
1: I can't say I anticipated that answer. I know he's a good player, but I, uh, I, I, that was a little bit surprising to me. Why? Uh, like what kind of give me the the recruiting thing? What you saw from him in the eval process? Like, what makes him great?
0: There's no negatives. I mean, well, that's never true. There's there's never that's definitely not true. There's in terms of his play on the football field, he does not have many weaknesses. He is incredibly strong. He's a good size. He has real speed, home run speed. He can make you miss. Uh, he can catch the football. Uh, I mean, he just does everything and, uh, he's an incredibly good player. Obviously the running back position. Yeah. He makes that running back room, that offense better. Um, you know, you don't hold exactly win a whole lot of games because you have the best running back on the field anymore, unless it's Derek Henry. Um, but he, he, he has a chance to be a super special player if he kind of kind of gets out of his own way. Um, per se. So I, if that actually ends up being a thing, that would be, uh, that'd be great.
1: Just general glimpse at it, I guess. we'll we'll hit the Durkin part of this first, there's been, you know, some strong rumors that Durkin is, you know, I think he'll have multiple suitors, but most namely A&M has surfaced as a potential landing spot for him what do you think he does this is clear i guess this is not surprising i mean the way the defense played for most of this year in the turnaround you figured he was going to be sought after how do you think this plays out and how significant of a loss is this if 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 he does leave that should be if i'm just obviously projecting here
0: no of course um i mean i don't know what he's going to do i'm sure a&m is going to pay a shit ton of money and uh that would probably be pretty hard to turn down depending on what it is and I'm sure Ole Miss on the other end is probably willing to chalk up a pretty penny to try to keep them. Um, it, it would be a pretty big loss. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, just continuity wise, just not having to implement a new scheme, meet new people, uh, new assistants. Um, you know, who do you go after? Do you, uh, that would be an interesting deal to figure out. Um there's a lot of moving parts there. I really hope he stays. He's a great coach, great guy. Um, but, you know, a a pretty awesome program. You know, they haven't won at the level that those people think they should, but that doesn't mean they're not good. They just signed another five-star linebacker. They're going to have probably the best recruiting class in the history of 24-7 this year. Um, so I-, I get it if he leaves, I'm not going mean, to, I get it. You know, there's people that probably think that's a lateral move. Um, you can make that argument if you want to, but it doesn't really matter because the coaches don't look at it that way. You know, he's going to go there. He's going to assume that's a better position for him. And that's all that really matters. But um, I don't know what he's going to do, but it, it would definitely, it would definitely hurt to lose someone like him.
1: If he does end up departing, what do you think they'll do? And I'm not asking you to do the, who they'll hire thing. I think the partridge aspect of this is kind of fascinating because as I've outlined a couple of times, you know they pitched it as the co DC things, and they were hired. But clearly, this was Durkin's defense. Is there, particularly considering when this is happening, is there a continuity value in you know taking the co aspect or the co title off of Partridge? Do you think he's ready, or do you think they'll go outside?
0: Yeah, I, I get that that idea is you just take the co off, and you know, I I personally wouldn't do that, and that's not saying that Partridge wouldn't do a good job because uh, I like Partridge a lot. I think he's a bright smart, young, really good recruiter. Um, th- just the risk of, of having somebody who's never called a defense in the SEC seems a little too high for me, especially after you're losing your offensive coordinator and bringing in a guy as an offensive coordinator who hasn't called, you know, plays in the SEC or, you know, depending on who you talk to, has never really called plays ever except for UCF or USF. Right. Um, so now that's putting yourself with, with Coach Kithin and two coordinators who have not called plays at the SC level, that's just, to me, is a mistake. Or mistake it's not a right word. That's not a uh, great recipe for uh, immediate success, especially when you're trying to build upon the success you've already had. That would be a, a lot of work and a lot of headache and a lot of new um, for this team and for Kiffin. So, yeah, I'm not saying that it's not – I, I just, I don't know if I would go there.
1: Any names immediately come to mind that would make sense?
0: Uh, nope.
1: <laughs> yeah, this uh, is a, this is a one. I, I would
0: one. have said John Summerall, but he's a head coach now. So no go there. Um, You just have to find a guy that can, that wants to coach with Kiffin that can handle that kind of environment and not, you know, and, and just do his job. Uh, I don't know. I can't think. I know I saw Neil wrote like Kevin Steele. That seems just like a, the worst fit possible. Why do you say um, that? Because those two are like just polar opposites of just how they do things, just their personalities, just literally every, Oh God, damn it, Devonte Adams. I'm going to lose my fantasy. Um, sorry, but, You're uh, good. yeah, I, that just would seem like a disaster waiting to happen. Um, I, I don't know I don't I can't think of a name off the top of my head that would makes gives me the warm and fuzzies. Um, I would pay Ron Roberts a lot of money from Baylor.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I no kidding.
0: A, I paid him a lot of money. Um, now he he's a little older, and Aranda and him probably do a lot together. And I would give that probably a five percent chance ever happening. Um, but he, you know he's got Southern ties. He's been he was at ULL for a while and Southeastern. Um, So he's, he did a hell of a job. Uh, I don't know if that's real realistic or not, but that would be like
1: my call him, offer him a shit ton of money and make him say no guy. I think I know the answer to this, but does Kiffin have a preferred manner of playing defense? Like the whole, we made fun of Ed Orgeron for winning a national championship with the three, four, but preferring the four, three. Is there any sort of criteria that might give you hints about who would be a good fit? I kind of agree with the fit on the, uh, the uh, steel part of it because he wouldn't kind of prickly down the stretch with his deal with Gus and how that ended at Auburn. And, uh, oh, he was the one where they almost like orchestrated a coup to have him become the head coach. That's what it was.
0: Right. So um, yeah. But no, anyway, yeah, that I derailed the, the house basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, I derailed you there. Is there any, does he have like a preferred style or method? Um, not, not that I'm aware of that I can
0: think of. I mean, they, they changed their defense entirely in one year. Um, so I would, I think pretty multiple, pretty open to anything. Um, but I know, I I mean, he, his his dad invented a defense, the Kiffin, you know, he's on the offensive side of the ball, but don't mistake that for assuming he doesn't know a shit ton about defense as well. He just may not be coaching it. Right. Um, so I, I don't think he's, would be married to some sort of scheme like, you know, Ed was.
1: As you uh, as you outlined before and have said on this podcast so many times, you know it's a lot of changes. What happens when you win? But you know, Kiffin has a good batting average on hiring guys so far, so you know the track record is pretty strong. Despite I imagine most Ole Miss fans not necessarily being thrilled with the fact that they're having the hires to be made, but you know, as Kiffin's out said before, that's that's just kind of what happens when you win, right? That's part of how this goes. Uh, the other thing, that I guess, the other housekeeping you note know, we didn't get to. Uh, it sounds like things are trending in the positive way from the uh, recently fired strength coach at Florida Savage. Do you know anything about him?
0: Nope. No, nothing about him.
1: Seems like a pretty good hire though. I mean, coming from where he came from who we worked for that, uh, like seems like they could have done worse. I'm clearly not an expert when it comes to, uh, you know, strength coaches in the market pool with that. But Wilson love, as you said, I think that made a thread on the board talking about how you, you encapsulated it. Well, how big of a loss that is, but that on paper seems like a decent replacement. So, you know, they're, Kind of getting the process going as we as we look at this season as a whole and kind of turn toward the future, if you're there I doubt this is happening. If they're having a meeting together, everyone in the program meeting tomorrow, what do you think the top concerns are? let's what's the first one in your mind?
0: I mean the obvious one would be quarterback. Um, in my opinion though, is I'm looking at my phone, seeing a guy enter the transfer portal. Um, that I would want, uh, I, I think they're going to have to get some impact offensive line, offensive linemen. Um, you, you just cannot win this league without a average offensive line. You need a good one or preferably a great one. Um, this kid from ULL who I used to recruit, Osiris Torrance, um, entered the portal. Like, whatever NIL deal, you need to figure out how to get that kid would be preferred. Um but th- I think that would be one of the ones. I think they've addressed receiver um, with the Watkins kid. Um, I guess, You know what? I will break a little bit of recruiting news on here. Um, my, my little brother goes to Vanderbilt and his boys with one of his good friends, his boys with that Cam Johnson kid. And uh, he said he's going to Auburn. So I think that's happening. So I don't think that kid's going to Ole Miss. Um, so get a few more there. Um, a tight end would be cool. Um, I know Casey ha- has been actually a pretty good player, Hudson Wolf, who I just don't know what's going to happen with that kid. Injury wise, that back deal was always going to be a risk. And it seems like it's a risk. that's not panning out, unfortunately, because that kid's super talented. Uh, and then defensively, just a few patch, a few holes. I mean, uh, I think maybe a defensive lineman or two would be great. Um, if Chance Campbell stays, I think you can have him and Austin keys and, uh Sistrunk will still be back. So I think they've got some guys there. Um and then the back end they've recruited so many DBs and they've continued to do that. I think it'll be good there. I really do think the the portal is going to be pretty offensive heavy, if I had to guess.
1: Yeah, because there's enough back there defensively. As you mentioned, they could be fine. Obviously, having Chance Campbell would stay would be a big boost to that, but it seems like to me just Finding another impact pass rusher to replace Sam Williams, clearly easier said than done, but you get Cedric Johnson back. I imagine that, you know, they got better on the interior as the year went on, but I imagine if you could, you probably want to beef up your defensive tackle. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to get from Malone next year, but that seems like a place where they could uh, probably upgrade a bit, given that the uh, you know, Gordon Eaton thing didn't necessarily uh, – it wasn't a home run per se. Um,
0: uh, No, not necessarily but there's there's you know they've got some improvements to be made for sure
1: it's uh it was how will you remember this year you know 10 and 2 they won 10 games in a regular season for the first time it, it was a very fun team but it was it was a lot more unlikely like if the non the 2014 team had gone 10 and th- or 10 and 2 or the you know 2015 team had gone 10 and 2 I'm like okay that would make sense this one was uh this one had a lot of twists and turns to it, and it certainly exceeded the expectations I thought this team was capable of. I thought maybe it was possible that everything went right. But I don't know. Do you have one encapsulating thought when you look back at this year?
0: I mean, I think this year is a success. Um, I think just the way college football works these days with the playoffs is that, you know, maybe people just don't think of it as much of a success as they probably should. Right. Um, And I think that's a that's a that's a sport problem, not a fan problem that they they've they've just miraculously screwed this whole thing up so
1: dramatically. I mean, it really is a mess.
0: Just think about how awesome, you know, yesterday would have been if you had Ole Miss versus Baylor and Oxford and that Notre Dame Oklahoma State game, you know, in South Bend and Utah and Ohio State playing uh, in Utah, like at, at Utah. I mean, those games were awesome. And, like, no one gave a shit. <laughs> Nobody gave one shit about the outcome of the Notre Dame-Oklahoma State game. I mean, the place was 50% full. And that game used to mean something, and now none of these do. So, you're as an Ole Miss fan, I get if you're like, you know, even if they won the Sugar Bowl, it's like, yeah, it's a fantastic season, but, like, how far do we have to go to actually win something? Like I mean, how far does any team have to go? If it's only gonna be four, and then we've had like you know the tenth straight year of just ass sucking semifinals, just terrible games. Uh, I mean, I can I don't know about you, but I don't give a shit about who
1: wins out of Alabama and Georgia. It's very and not compelling. I'm with you. Like I watch it and whatever, right? Right? But I'm I'm not I'm not excited about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of my best friends go, went to Georgia, and he's super excited about it. So I'm happy for him. Um, I know we're kind of getting off key about the whole Miss point of this, but no, it really, go ahead.
1: Though I think I was going to kind of
0: comes down to just the way this sport is right now. That like, I don't want to watch Georgia and Alabama again. And I think people who say they do are kind of lying to themselves. Like, do you really? And if Alabama wins, like who cares like are we just going to do this every single year because newsflash that team is going to be fucking loaded next year too yep they're going to be as good as they are this year if not better and you are just have to replay this thing over again with four teams again um because of the lack of leadership and that's why like i guess the the overarching thought about this old miss season was Yeah, it was a great season. And then you're like, okay, well, imagine if Corral was healthy against Auburn and we had some better health. So they go, imagine they go 11 and one. They still still probably aren't getting in. You're still not getting in. (laughs) So now it's like, so what, you know, the best season in school history or close to it. And you were in the SEC, you finished second or technically like tied for second, I guess. Or tied for first, or I guess Bama won it, but you had the same record because they lost a and o. Oh no, no, they lost two. Never if remember.
1: they lost the Iron Bowl, it would have been they would have. We would have joked scrap about the banner. Remember?
0: Yes, yes, yes. So scrap all that. So you finish second in the hardest division in football, and your reward is a meaningless game in New Orleans. Just it just it just feels off. It feels weird. So I I kind of get some some fans being a little like you know this is a great season, but. And um, I, I do think it was a great season. I think it was awesome. There's a lot of memories I've had from it, going to a few of the games and, and you know, doing all this. But it just, it just makes me even more frustrated with the way college football is these days. You know, it, it, it truly has been turned into, you know, people always say it's like people love it because it's the stupidest sport, <laughs> and I, I get that. But now it's having success like this and seeing that it doesn't really matter it just makes me more frustrated than laughing at it. And um, I can understand why some of the people feel the same way.
1: And I don't, as we get to the big picture, because I wanted to get this anyway, I don't understand, like, yes, both of the semifinal games kind of sucked. Neither one of those were compelling, but I don't get the uh, anti-expansion arguments as it pertains to, do you really want more games like this? You, If you expand, you're going to have more chances for better games. And if it ends up Alabama-Georgia again, okay, fine. It's still in that way this time. But at least like the entire thing wasn't just a complete laugher. And it, you know, look, Alabama's really good. Georgia's really good. But if they had to win three games to get to this thing, you never know. It's still football. So I don't understand the dudes that are get on there on the internet and, and say, Y'all really want you know six more of these games? Like, yes, I do, because I think there's a chance that they would be better. And then you could have teams going home and away and you know, change it up a little bit because it sucks as the current product. Why not change it up?
0: No, exactly. I mean it's a matchup-based game. I mean, I hammered Georgia minus seven because I was like, "Look, Michigan cannot affect this team offensively. It's a terrible matchup for Michigan." Um, and I think if Michigan had played Alabama, I think that game might have been a little bit closer. I think it would have been a completely different kind of game, just matchup-wise. So maybe you kind of find a, a, a shitty matchup there and you get an upset, like a maybe a Utah beating a, a Georgia or uh, Notre Dame beating Cincinnati or something like that, and um, it just would be just better, a better environment, better atmosphere. People would care more. The fans would care more, and that's what you're kind of starting to lose. I know no one gives a shit about that because it's all about the money and the TV and blah, 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 but uh, it, it's getting, like, frighteningly stale, and these games in the end of November, you know, they just don't – like the Ole Miss game of beating Texas A&M in the grand scheme of things, for Ole Miss, that game meant nothing. But it was built up to be this, like, awesome, big, huge game, and I, I get it. But imagine if you were an 18 playoff, and Ole Miss winning that game makes it like you're, you're, you're in the playoff, not you're in the Peach Bowl or the Sugar Bowl where no one cares. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I hate my least favorite thing people say is, like, oh, well, you know, in just hindsight, you know, those games actually are playoff games. No, they're fucking not. They're regular season games. They're not playoff games. I don't care if they're a de facto uh, quarterfinal because the losers out and the winners in the playoff getting into a playoff game in the postseason is different than having a quote unquote elimination game at the end of the regular season. Right. Two completely different entities. I mean, just think about how much coverage did this sugar bowl get? Do you even see a commercial on TV? Not really. I really think it all. I saw zero. Saw no one talking about it. You look at college football podcasts. like listening on the my way back home. There's no recap of this game. It's all what happened in the semifinals. And you talk about those shit games for two hours, you can bore yourself to sleep. I mean, it's just, it's a weird, weird, weird area we're in with the sport. And they're talking about all this change and nothing's actually happening. And it's just getting really frustrating for fans that like, care about it i get why some people kind of like me who's like i'm just gonna start watching a lot more nfl because that one actually makes sense whereas this college shit does not
1: no i mean it's a it's a four-team invitational when you have five power conferences decided by a bunch of dudes watching it on tv throughout the year none of it makes any sense it's a it's probably the worst setup it's the only level of football that has such a terrible setup and you know people I don't know if people are stunned, but not shockingly, it's created an uncompelling product, but you're right. I do think it did changes it because Ole Miss would have made an 18 playoff this year. And you can, you talk about the games being meaningless. Like, yes, I think Kevin thought the sugar bowl was important from the showcase aspect of it. And, you know, being on that stage, winning 11 games, first time in history and all that. But to your point, if it was actually a playoff game, you, you can sell the fact that you went and had a chance you lined it up with a chance to play for a national title versus we got close and then played a really good team in a, like, New Year's Day game. Like, there's just – there's not a lot of, uh, I guess, sizzle to the latter part of that message, where selling you, you – we were one of the eight teams that had a chance to win a national title. I feel like you could, that's an easy – more sellable, right. particularly in recruiting.
0: Right. No, you're exactly correct. Um, telling a, a kid that you won the Sugar Bowl, like, doesn't really mean much. Telling a kid that you made the playoffs and are going to do it again means a lot more. For portal so- guys, too, by the way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like, you, you, I think they see the opportunity, which that's another aspect of it. Alabama and Georgia, I know A&M's crushing recruiting and they may come in there, but you always have, you know, the four programs and four or five more kind of rotating. But like, it's probably not helping the parity in the sport either, because the top kids see I can go to one of these five schools have a chance to play for a national title or I can go to these other ones for other reasons basically like i wonder if that would help a little bit of the parity in recruiting if you kind of knew you could go to an old miss or a tennessee or something and if things fell the right way you're going to get in the playoff
0: yeah i know it's just it's a weird deal
1: is that a gripe in recruiting did you like the playoff setup i mean i'm not necessarily sure is it something i will talked about every day but is that like a gripe commonly in the industry Uh,
0: no i wouldn't say so necessarily i mean well of course and when I was there we we didn't really get that close to the playoffs, so it was right the selling point um so no, I wouldn't think so, but um, I know that like there's got to be some a growing and increasing frustration just among really every team, you know except for Alabama, maybe about how this whole playoff thing is going
1: yeah i Couldn't agree more. And it showed up in the product on uh, new year's night. And then you have the weird deal where the Rose bowl won't move off new year's day. So you have these games after the playoff, like the entire thing is just (laughs) total nonsense, but I don't know. It was a fun year, man. It was a lot of fun uh, following this team, seeing uh, kind of the individual storylines that, uh, that popped up from it and, uh, you know, kind of covering this each week on Sunday nights. I mean, this would have not, I don't think this would have been as hell as much fun if they were, a you know, a six and six team, but they're at a fascinating point in the program, right? This is where most teams, you know, most programs are aiming to get to, right? Or at least get to the precipice of this. And now it's kind of a matter of, what Ole Miss does with it? Can they retool? How much change will they be? Can they find a quarterback and keep this thing rolling? Because if you look about this in a long, long-term sense, and I know we will get to end up talking about the kiffin departing part of it, you know, if they are good again next year, but like, don't doesn't eight and four as kind of a retooling year matter versus like a six and six? like in kind of keeping this thing going. Cause the think almost is going to win 10 games every year is unrealistic, but just you know, the size of the step back, I think matters as well. Don't you think? Because Hey, you go 10 and two, eight and four, you figure out the quarterback thing. And then, you know, you feel a lot better going into 2023 where I feel like there'll probably be a little bit more continuity. Does that make any sense at all?
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Uh, I would agree. I mean, you don't want to crater because when you crater, that means you have to change a lot of different things. And, um, uh, you know, you just have to, like, really re-examine the program. If you kind of keep steady and, you know, maybe drop one you you thought you could have won and go eight and four or something like that, you know, like, you're still on track. You're still competing. You're still winning big football games. You go six and six from ten wins, and it's like, man, like, is this, you know, you start questioning everything, and, you know, it would be definitely a a weirder deal for sure.
1: Do you have a highlight of this season from a podcast standpoint? Was it getting accused of as being a spy? Was it <laughs> yes. falling down in the chair during the pause earlier when my man Weldon busted? He's playing hurt. I'm playing hurt already. We had a chair mishap. Was there a podcasting highlight this year?
0: I think my kind of induction into message board fodder was being called a, a sleeper spy, <laughs> uh, an LSU sleeper spy. That was probably the highlight. And also in terms of that, Saw something very funny. I almost thought about putting it on there. I don't know if you were watching the Clemson-Iowa State game, but Jeff Scott, the current head coach of USF, was in the stands wearing orange and purple with his wife and daughter also wearing Clemson colors. So Really? I don't know how he could possibly on earth do his job as a head football coach while doing that. That is insane. So just a, just a thought out there.
1: Okay. That's a, That's a, that we didn't have you doing that. Uh like that's no. that's all, hold on, hold on, That's mind blowing to me. I've actually never even uh heard of that. I, or,
0: I, I just think about it. Just here here's my analogy. You can I'm gonna sound like fucking Colin Coward right here. You could like love Coke, like you're you're the, the drink, of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. And your whole life you drink coke and then you get out of college and Pepsi offers you a ton of money to go work for them and a great job. It doesn't mean you didn't enjoy the other product before or anything like that, but you this is what you are paid to do now. <laughs> like this is your job. And that is how like a hundred percent of these coaches, administrators, um, all the above operate. Um, so I, I understand why. You know, I guess whoever the hell this guy is, is like, why the hell is this LSU guy from Baton Rouge working for us? Like, that's bullshit. Like, that's your entire fucking staff (laughs) is probably grew up a fan of a different team or grew up somewhere else or worked for another team. Like, that's just in that industry, just because it's a very alumni friendly, love to have your guy there. Like, that's not how anybody operates. You are being paid to do a job and you want to win a lot and there's a lot of pride and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like you work in football, like you work in any other industry. So just a little defensive myself, but I think that was a personal message board highlight for me to be called out like that.
1: I kind of like that as a, I like that moment in time as well. Um, Lastly, did you have any major thoughts on the playoff? I, you know, I thought Cincinnati deserved their shot. I thought they acquitted themselves. Okay. They just didn't have the dudes up front to match up with Alabama's running game. The Clemson and the other one was a total snoozer, but I will say, I I, I don't think Alabama is going to be able to do that against Georgia. And so I think the Mechie, the Mechie uh, absence is pretty big, but uh, did you, what did you think of the playoffs other than the game sucking? No, I mean, I thought
0: Cincinnati belonged. Man, I, I thought they played their ass off. Um, I, I thought Ritter played terrible, and I've always thought that he was, like, not very good. And I also think that their team, like, last year or two years ago, was actually better than this team. But defensively, I mean, the, the guys played incredibly hard. Those two cornerbacks are fucking for real. I mean, they, with the exception of a player to two, like, really shut down Williams. Um, They just didn't have the bodies to block Alabama at all. And then the running back got hurt, so they couldn't run the ball. So it was kind of a – I mean, it was a snoozer of a game, but to act like Cincinnati, like, didn't belong there and we're going to make some referendum on the group of five, like, is not true. And then Michigan, I I think that was just a shit matchup. And Michigan played just a better version of themselves. Yes,
1: absolutely Um, true.
0: That's what happened there. And um, credit to Kirby. I mean, they had a great game plan. They were uh they were running tempo, they were doing things to have it done. I mean, Stetson Bennett was incredibly solid with what he needed to do and the defense played their ass off. Uh N'Kobe Dean continues to earn that paycheck. That kid is a baller. Um, very good. Very, very, very good. Not a bust worth worth what he was given. Um, and will continue to get. And just a sharp, a good, sharp kid who has like probably a 4.0. Um, I don't know what is going to come with this final. Um, Vegas is just daring people to take Alabama as another underdog again against Kirby smart. Um, If I had to take a team, I I would take Georgia. Uh, It's tough to beat a team twice, especially one that's really, really good, but um, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a fun game. I can tell you, I just, Don't really care about it at all, um, which is something that's kind of sad. I'm just i not that interested in it. I don't care um, near as much as, as say, if Michigan had won. I'd be a little bit more interested. I think that would be a better storyline, even though it may not be a better game. Um, It's in Indianapolis, which also is just kind (laughs) of lame. So, I mean, give me Georgia minus three. Uh, I think they can pull it off. And if they don't pull it off, they just may never <laughs> – literally may never do it.
1: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I got, it's, it's, I feel like stupid taking the trap again, but I I, I like actually like George's chances in that one. Uh, the last thing I want to get to that I completely missed, we probably should have gotten to this sooner, the Corral opt-out conversation was predictably boring, it sounds. Like, I didn't do a ton of social media because, you know, it was late last night and then I had to drive. But, like, look, the kid – to me, the kid wanted to play. He played – an unfortunate thing happened. I don't think it's going to affect his draft stock and that should. should be the end of it. But I think this is actually partially fueled. So I didn't watch a lot of TV coming up being, you know, being in new Orleans for the week, but it sounded like, uh, it sounded like ESPN kind of spent the day and the days leading up really vilifying some of the opt-outs uh, partially probably because of the product they're putting on their television. Some of it was fueled by that, but just that conversation was predictably nauseating.
0: It's pathetic. It's so pathetic. It's such bullshit that those guys get up there on TV and say shit like that when it's so ESPN. Was there a predominant one? What happened? So supposedly Herbstreak, who I, I actually really like Herbstreak, he went on some weird rant about Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave for Ohio State opting out and saying like they just didn't care about football. And I'm kind of paraphrasing what I saw through Twitter and stuff, because like you, I was partying all day and not really glued, glued into the TV. But that is such a hilariously hypocritical thing to come from somebody who works at ESPN, yep. who funds all these bowls, has them all on ESPN, creates new shitty ones for TV product, and then blames the kids that they're not playing in these meaningless bowl games. I mean, it's this—it's ESPN in the playoffs' fault that this is the case. And then they come up there and start – you know, hooping and hollering and blaming the kids and talking shit like that. This is your fault. (laughs) You created this mess. You don't get to turn around and then like, you know, vilify them for it. It just is such a weird conversation. And this has been happening for like five years now. And we're still talking about it as if it's some new phenomenon. And it just does not make a lot of sense to me. I don't understand why people are frustrated by it. If Matt Corral decided he didn't want to play in the Sugar Bowl, then he didn't want to play in the sugar bowl and no one should ever second question or second guess him for it. Um, you know, he got hurt. I think he's going to be fine for all the NFL combine stuff like that. And that's kind of the end of the story. And guess what? If he wins this game. Yeah. Like the, the stories written are a little nicer and like the memories are a little bit better, but in terms of like actual Ole Miss football, not, nothing would have changed at all you think ohio state got boosted up because they won a meaningless rose bowl (laughs) no um so it's just a dumb conversation and it's so nauseating it's why no one watches espn
1: talk shows anymore because i can't remember the last time i did i don't even know who's on them
0: the, the the conversations are so pathetic and boring and they're so playoff centric based that like if you're not in it like you're not talked about ever
1: yeah, they completely lack nuance. I mean, it's just the same with this conversation and this these hot take shows that they put on. They kind of drive this, you know, unnuanced conversation. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's it's, it's fairly simple. If the kid didn't want to play, don't criticize him because things like this happen. Kid wanted to play. He's not. He didn't make a mistake because he rolled up his ankle. Do we know actually know what the injury was? I have no idea.
0: Um, like the severity of it. I haven't seen it. I think x-rays are negative, so it's probably just – he's probably going to have to get surgery on probably one or both of those ankles just to get them, like, fit and ready to go. But that was probably going to happen no matter what happened in this game just from a health standpoint. So, I think he's
1: fine. Right. And not the point either way. And like, if you know, he didn't make a mistake playing in this game because he got his ankle rolled up. It's just, it, it seems like a fairly simple way to babe. I get fans get upset when the players opt out because, you know, fans are loyal to their team and they don't like seeing guys quote unquote quit on the team. But just feels like a fairly simple thing. But to have a major network go on and, you know, say things like that and kind of push the conversation and narrative and the narrative of vilifying the players is, uh, it's really just dumb. But it's also kind of indicative of where, uh, where we're at. That was uh. That was really the last thing I had, dude. I appreciate the time, as always. This has been a hell of a lot of fun this year. We'll continue to check back in, you know, some recruiting stuff, some spring football. And then uh, I know you'll be back in the chair next year, as we kind of talked about. But this was awesome, man. I appreciate uh, your time each and every Sunday. This was a hell of a fun season. I really enjoyed it.
0: No, I appreciate you letting me do this. I know we've talked about how it all came together kind of randomly and quickly, but it's been a ton of fun, and I, I really appreciated it.
1: He is Weldon Rodenberg bowing out on the 2021 Ole Miss season. I appreciate all of you for listening along the way. It's been a lot of fun for us to do this every Sunday, and uh, we will be uh, catch you soon. And that was our show. I really appreciate you guys tuning in throughout the football season. As I've said a number of different times, probably getting old at this point, it's been awesome to see this grow. Weldon is a huge part of that. Kind of came together. Uh, this partnership kind of came together late, but I- I'm certainly glad it did and it turned out. Uh, as well or better than anything I could have possibly imagined. And uh, part of that is you guys uh, listening every week. So I I really appreciate it. We had fun doing this. Weldon isn't going anywhere. He's just uh, entering off-season mode as we move into basketball and baseball. So we'll check check in with him periodically, spring ball, some recruiting stuff as it's going to be a busy next couple weeks for uh, Ole Miss as it pertains to the football program. And then he will be back in the co-host chair next season. So that's always good news. And, uh, you know, no one listened, he might not be as uh, thrilled to do that. So I appreciate you guys out there. It's been a fun ride. Hope you enjoyed this season as much as we did covering it and whatever that means these days, uh, just kind of recapping everything on the podcast. So I appreciate you guys' time. Uh, we still got a lot of stuff coming in 2022 getting into basketball, some baseball, I have some different ideas on the horizon. So, uh, Hope you guys stick around to check that out. And thank you as always for listening. Have a wonderful start to your week. I hope everyone had a happy new year. And um, hopefully, this year is awesome for all of you. We'll check out, we'll check with you later in the week, probably on Wednesday.